Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to Clash of the Titles, the podcast that sees two movies with something in common go head-to-head to see which one does it better on this week's episodes. In the red corner, Kurt Russell is the man with the plan to stop David Suchet's terrorist from nerve-gassing the eastern seaboard of the USA. Unfortunately, that plan goes wrong very quickly, and he finds himself trapped on a plane without Steven Seagal, and with only hours to save himself and the passengers from 1996 were making an executive decision. Excuse me, sir. May I help you? Sir? In an age... Excuse me, sir. May I help you? When terrorism knows no boundaries... And the level of threat... I have a message for the American president. ...knows no limits. I am in control of Flight 343. Sir, I don't think this is about hostages. What are you talking about? A shipment of the nerve toxin DZ-5 was hijacked. Are you saying nerve gas is on board? Yes, sir, I am. They plan to use the DZ-5 and the airplane together to detonate here over Washington. When global response is routine. London is demanding immediate action. There's a hatch on the belly of the 747 near the nose. We could dock there. I know you wrote the book on assaulting hijacked aircraft, but this is five miles above the Earth. I don't think we have any other options. While in the blue corner, President Ford, no, not that one, is pretty much the best president ever. But you don't get to arrest rebel leaders without some pushback. And that push comes in the shape of Gary Oldman's terrorist, who easily takes over your supposedly super secure plane, all because he loves Jürgen Prochnow. From 1997, we're on board Air Force One. Tonight I come to you with a pledge to change America's policy. Atrocity and terror are not political weapons. And to those who would use them, your day is over. In a speech tonight in Moscow, the president issued a direct challenge to terrorist nations around the world. But the question remains, what are the risks involved in such a bold policy initiative? They hated your speech, didn't they? We're afraid we won't have the guts to back it up. Air Force One clear for takeoff. Thank you for your hospitality, Moscow. The president's plane, Air Force One, has been hijacked. So what connects these two films and which one does it better? Let's find out. It's Clash of the Titles. Release the Kraken. Hello, Clash Potters. I think we're looking up the ass end of a dead dog, but it's worth a try. I'm Alex Zane. I'm Vicky Crompton. I'm Chris Tilly. How are you both? Really Excellent. well. Oh, what a live show at the weekend, eh? Un. 
unbelievable. It was crazy. I, I wish I hadn't said that thing. I though. cannot. Yeah. So awkward. I can barely remember it. No, I was, it was, it's a blur, but a great blur. You said to me, better to say nothing than say what you said, but I did it. Yeah, you were you were, you were were off the rails. I know. It was crazy. I've never seen you like that. <laughs> um, but seriously, thank you if you did come. We are recording this before the live show. Uh, so that thank you could be... I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, that <laughs> Profuse be, apologies. It could be a better thing to say. But the live show is tomorrow. And, it, well, it was on Saturday. I'm going to confuse you. Basically, if you were there, thank you for coming. I hope it was good. Uh, a big shout out uh, to another pod that was doing the London Podcast Festival, a friend of the show. Uh, we had Anna Smith on recently talking Thelma and Louise and Butch Cassidy. And I'd just like to recommend her podcast. It is a brilliant film podcast, Girls on film. She, Anna Smith, interviews women from new and classic releases, from Black Widow director Kate Shortland to Shallow Grave star Kerry Fox. They are on the London Podcast Festival this coming Thursday, which is still to come. We were on on Saturday, which is tomorrow, but has been when this yep. goes out. Tickets are available. Yes. Uh, you can find it all uh, on the King's Place website. So, yeah, Anna Smith and the girls on film team are going to be at the London Podcast Festival on the 9th of September. <sighs> right then. These were your choices this week, weren't they, Victoria? Yes. Mm, so what's the 411, Crompton? I'm not going to tell you, but I do love Air Force One so much but I won't tell you why I'll save it for Thursday not because it's in any way incendiary just as an anecdote it doesn't really bear repeating but it is an anecdote you've got an anecdote about Air Force no, no that's a bit strong I've got a, t- <laughs> a tale to tell I've got something that happened to me and that's why I love Air Force One so much on Air Force One no oh right okay cool in fact now it's just going to be really shit but right. but anyway wait for Thursday a hell of a teaser <laughs> but like uh, I say, it does not stand up to repetition yeah so I won't tell you twice okay Okay. That's so it. That's the reason. Any particular reason for executive decision? You chose it. Yep, I did. Yep. <laughs> I did. I'll, t- I'll explain in a moment. Uh, so the clue you gave on last week's show was? <laughs> we do not negotiate rates with terrorists. Still happy about it? Yes. Great. Chris followed that up on Twitter with? Terror at 30,000 feet. Very good. Very good because terror, terrorists. Terrorists, yeah. yeah, no, yeah, yeah, very, yeah, yeah. very good, very good. Uh, so we are on Twitter at ClashPod and also Instagram at ClashPod and the guesses landed there with a bump. Reese Page, Danny Baker, Tim Wilkins, Andrew Logan, Ian Colgan, James Ozipugh, Crispy Simon and Tim Parks all went for Air Force One versus Passenger 57. Oh. We talked about that, didn't we? We did. We did. Oh, that would have been good, wouldn't it? No. Yeah. <laughs> Shut up. Look, it does. No, we, we, we were doing twinning movies. Like these two are much closer. Yes. Yeah. Because, and obviously your clue, we don't negotiate yeah. with terrorists. Well, she would have changed the clue, wouldn't she? But no, right. fine. They, they're they're closer. Shame, yeah, in Passenger 57, Bruce Payne is just a criminal. <laughs> Criminal. Rubbish. Okay, so the right answers. Richard Cartwright, Wolf 35999, Ryan D, Aaron Seddon, Russ and Russell Ball. Bully. 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 <laughs> no, V? No. Bully. Said <laughs> <laughs> through gritted teeth. But uh, the winner here this week with the first correct guess after two weeks of different Russells claiming victory and the tentative announcement that this could be the dawn of the Russells. Of course, there was a counterattack and clearly with their legacy under threat, the Garys have resurfaced and the winner <laughs> this week is... Gary! Gary, welcome back. Hello, Gary. Yes, congratulations, Gary. Your prize is the undoubted appreciation of the other 247 Garys who listen to the show. <laughs> Come the Gary lections, I feel you have a good chance of being hailed King Gary. <laughs> good luck. So, connections, what do we got? Oh, tons. Absolutely yeah. tons. I'll start. Jerry Goldsmith! I know! <laughs> welcome back, Jerry! Double Jerry Goldsmith. Yeah. Brilliant. Um, title card, Location Siege. <laughs> <laughs> so Kazakhstan um, and Trieste, weirdly, but there you go. Yeah, that's right. Both open with US strike teams in former Soviet states. The, the, the... Trieste is... Where I thought is it Trieste? was in Chechnya. It doesn't... Trieste isn't in Chechnya. Oh, isn't I Trieste thought... In... Oh, fucking hell. <laughs> We're not very good oh, at this. Oh, jeez. Uh, but are uh, they Chechen rebels who've stolen the nerve gas? Yeah, but tri- isn't Trieste in Italy? Oh, okay. So is it? Were... Chris, find out quickly. Of course it's in Italy. Is right. it? Yeah. <laughs> Okay, and they're definitely in Trieste. Yeah. Oh, all right. So I'm wrong. That's not a connection. (laughs) Yours was, though. Chris, any more? Um, Threatening to kill a hostage every hour, arguing about which wire to cut. Uh, Rewiring, yeah. Mm. (laughs) There's a lot of rewiring. What about heroes who are a bit rusty with flying, but do basically know how to fly? Got that. That's lovely. Uh, I just wrote inexperienced pilots. Yeah. Both, Uh, uh, Both take place on 747s. 
Plane fans. I forgot. You're on a plane, but shh, no one knows. Uh, uh, a bloke who tries to speak for the president gets shot dead. Mm, yes. I've written that in as both uh, both movies take the Ellis scene from Die Hard wholesale. They do, they yes. do. big time. Um, a terrorist claiming people can't comprehend his intentions. Mm-hmm. Uh, both films, passengers, people get transported from one plane to another in midair. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's quite a big one. That's good. Yeah, I didn't think of that. Uh, both planes are intercepted by US fighters, F-14s or F-15s, whichever F you like best. Uh, both films and rhetoric that Team America was satirising. Yeah. Yes. Yes, very good. Any more for any more? No. All right, then. Let's get into this. So on Thursday, Chris will be shouting, and not for the first time, get off my plane, which means today I'm taking back every rust-picking, squid-hating thing I've ever said about swabbies. Let me take you on a journey. Steven Seagal's strike team are sent on a wild goose chase by Kurt Russell's military intelligence boffin to retrieve some nerve gas that isn't there. This pisses Seagal off, and in a totally professional way, he gets his own back by demanding that on his next mission, infiltrating a plane at 30,000 feet, Russell has to come along and is not allowed to change out of his tuxedo for the whole mission. That'll teach him the dick. Turns out it's Russell who gets the last laugh after he lives, but Seagal dies, falling to his death from five miles up. I mean, karma, right? Anyway, after two hours of hiding in crawl spaces and Halle Berry answering a phone, the good guys win. And the film leaves us with the most important question. As Kurt Russell drives off into the metaphorical sunset, he asks Halle Berry, do you like hockey? What? (laughs) Did I miss a meeting? Does she like hockey? I mean, I know the film is over two hours long, but if you're going to edit out the hockey setup, maybe change the fucking payoff. They're not even on camera. You could literally replace those words with anything like, let's go for dinner. Is that your executive decision done? (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, for your consideration, executive decision. There is a hockey setup. There is, isn't there a hockey is, setup. I missed it. Yeah, early on, he asks the girl, he's chatting up a girl, and he asks her if she likes hockey, and before she can answer, he gets dragged away into that meeting at the beginning. So that's we learned that that's his chat-up line. Oh. Yeah. And it failed there because he got pulled away, but he manages to use it here and succeeds. Okay. It's I missed off, that. It's payoff to an actual setup. Really? Uh, it's. I mean, it's shite. It's like it's still like, what? What? It, what is that? that does, that's not yeah. a thing. That's like me saying in England, do you like cricket? I also didn't realise, and a lot of my criticism about this film is, where does Steven Seagal go? I didn't realise he died until you just said that. I thought he made it back. You think he's still flying? But he's not got a parachute. I thought he made it back into the other plane. Which then gets disintegrated. Yeah, and I thought he would be all right because he's Steven Seagal. So I thought there would be a scene where he's like, oh, I survived. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So I'm in a bit of trouble here. So at the very end, at the very end, you were like, "Well, Seagal's still in the movie somewhere. He's just not on camera." Yeah. I, I tell you what. Can I tell you what? I honestly, yeah. thought I thought he was going to be the president of the USA in a weird twist because where the fuck is the president of the USA in this film? Because he's absent throughout the whole thing, oh, no. and they speak for the president. I was like. It has to then be there for it. It can only be Stephen I mean, Seagal. It does feel like a big fucking crisis, and they yeah. go, "The president's busy. Yeah. He cannot Basically talk to you, what? David yeah. Suchet, because he's busy." It's like, how how busy can you be? Yeah. This is uh, the Eastern right. Seaboard is about to be decimated. We've learned over the last couple of years that it's not that weird for the president or the prime minister to go missing in action when big things are happening. Have we? Yes, they're on a holiday. They're golfing. <laughs> Dominic Rabs oh, taking it. It's yeah. like it's happened a lot. Yeah. But um, it seemed weirder then. Well, I just thought Steven Seagal would be like, surprise, it's me. Wow. And I didn't help you because I'm angry at you for that thing that you did with the toxins. I got that. Right. I mean, I'm struggling a little bit. With the, you actually thought at the very end Steven Seagal was going to go, and I was the president all along. Like he'd sit in the room and have the, <laughs> the president would yeah. try and board a 747 himself. <laughs> yeah. Right. Or if I didn't think that, I did at least think, where is Steven Seagal? How could he possibly have died? Sure. Mm. We'll, we'll get on to that. Which is fair enough. Nettie said the same thing. I went, and there he goes, dead. And she was like, no, he's not. No, he's not. Thank she you. Really, she really wouldn't wouldn't believe that Stephen Seagal died that early on, which is the whole point of him dying. Yes, which yes. is great. But we'll talk about that. Uh, so, uh, individual histories uh, with this movie. I'll start. I've seen it twice. Once when it came out on video or DVD. I don't know which one, but it doesn't matter which format. I don't care. Uh, but in about nineteen ninety seven, then I've watched it once more since because I remember really enjoying it. Really, mm. you're sorry. Yeah. It's just so very long. <laughs> <laughs> I really like this movie. Okay. No, that's good because I hadn't seen it, uh, but I have seen Passenger 57. So when I was like, I really want to do Air Force One, what should we do? And we were talking about it. I just trusted you. You were like, executive mm. decision fits. So I was like, if you say Put a so, lot of trust into Alex this week. Yeah, I did. I was like, let's just go for it. And then I saw how long it is. And I was like, 
I feel like you're washing your hands with me slightly on this episode. No, like going, I mean, you're I, playing to the people who are like, it should have been Passenger 57. No. It shouldn't. If you rewatch that movie, it is a bad film. Yeah. Like, Executive Decision is not a bad film. Okay. okay. Uh, this came out in May 96. That was the month I left school. So I had much better things to do than go to the cinema. Like you, I watched it on video. And I, I'm the opposite of Vicky because all I remember from this is the fact that Steven Seagal died. I don't remember anything else. Okay. It felt like it was a bit of a story at the time, to be honest. It was. You know, Steven Seagal's in this film. I think the story was he dies after 20 minutes. He doesn't. He dies after about an hour, but he's only in it for about 15 minutes. Yeah. Um, and so, although they didn't put him on the poster or they didn't talk about him being in it, everyone knew. It was like a good bit of sort of counter... Journalism. They did put him on the poster in some territories where he was huge. I can't remember which ones, but there were some where his face is on the other side of the poster because he was such a big draw in those territories. He, he was dropped onto the poster after the cinema release, right? But but they kept that secret. So yeah, that was all I re- I could remember of it. And having watched it this week, I can see why. Come on, guys. Hey, what are you doing? We save the verdict till the end of Thursday. I feel you both jumping the gun slightly here. Normally, this is me. Who I says get... I like Air Force One? That's true. Yeah, no hey. one. No one. I remember the Stevens Cigar bit. I also remember, which I really like this time as well, the Flash and Tail Lights. I oh, I love that bit, actually. That's yeah. really good. That's really good. Uh, so, a little bit about the history of this movie. It's editor Stuart Baird's first directing gig. Mm. Talked a lot about movies that Stuart Baird has edited on the show Lethal Weapon, Demolition Man, The Omen, Tango and Cash, and most importantly, Outland. We haven't done Superman on the show. Okay, Outland. Outland, that cracker, <laughs> that high-rating episode. Um, <laughs> he'd go on to direct after this, US Marshals, because this was a hit. US Marshals was also a hit. And then things took a turn for the worst in terms of his directing career with Star Trek Nemesis, which was his last ever directing gig okay. and the lowest ever opening, the only Star Trek movie that didn't open at number one at the box office. And things went downhill. He went back to editing and did oh, a bunch yeah. of amazing movies. Oh my so, God, yeah. yeah. And I don't know, he might have just gone, actually, I don't want to direct anymore. I think that's exactly what he did. I heard I heard him do, I listened to him do the Omen commentary with Richard Donner and mm. yeah, he's, he's happy being an editor and a really good one. Yeah, he's a brilliant editor. Um, not the best director in not my opinion, the opinion of uh, Marina Sirtis, who plays <laughs> Councillor Dana <laughs> yeah. Troy from Star Trek The Next Generation. Oh, that's funny. At a Star Trek Q&A when they were talking about Nemesis, she said, uh, so I'm just repeating what she said, into a microphone in an auditorium, she said, come on, say it, the director was an idiot. Wow. Mm, oh, not no. mincing her words. Naughty. So, yeah, I think the problem that some of the cast had was that he didn't watch a single episode of The Next Generation before directing Nemesis. Okay, okay. that's not cool. Mm. So there you go. Uh, Joel Silver gave him the director's chair. Uh, it's written by Jim and John Thomas, who wrote Predator, and in my opinion, the underrated Predator 2. And like I said, it was a hit, $122 million on $55 million budget. Uh, not as big a hit as Air Force One, though. Any more for any more? No, I think everything I've got we'll probably talk about when we're doing the film in terms of people not getting along. Yeah. Okay, lovely. I've got that. Lovely yeah. stuff. It's brilliant. <laughs> it's so funny. Ooh, little teaser. Right, okay. Uh, so, we're not in Chechnya, as I wrote. We're in, tr- t- where are we? Trieste. Trieste. Northern Italy. Okay, great. We're in Trieste <laughs> during a period where Steven Seagal still sort of remembers to act. Like, he actually holds his gun like a shol- soldier. <laughs> if you've watched any Steven Seagal movies, like, in the last few years, he doesn't even bother pointing the gun. He just, like, it's down by his side and just fires it and people die because he's <laughs> just, he's over it. He's just like, I'm Steven Seagal. That's what they do. They just die. Uh, but in 1996... I was bloody excited about seeing Steven Seagal in this movie because I freaking loved Under Siege. So this was a big deal for me back then. Uh, there are hints, I think, if you look for them, of uh, an ego on the way to running riot. All the other Marines have face paint on camouflage. Very true. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> He's clearly going, and, uh, I'm not going to be putting in you, face paint. You, you can't oh. cover up a masterpiece. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> my, my, my fans want to see my face. My fans want to see my face. I love my face. They love my face. I'm not putting any face paint on. So no nerve gas. So Seagal, a.k.a. Austin Travis, is pissed off. Uh, notably, though, when John Leguizamo goes, yeah, one of the guys died. He fails to mention that the guy dies because John Leguizamo goes, come on, leave him. And the guy goes, sorry, what? And like, we should get shot. <laughs> like, he's dis- John Leguizamo's rat distracts the guy and that's why he gets shot. Anyway, three months later, 
<laughs> and Kurt Russell is learning how to fly. Uh, I wonder if that's going to come back mm. as a movie big, set on a plane. Big question mark. Yeah. How are these two disparate yeah. elements? Why are you learning to fly? No reason. Yeah. I mean, Actually, no reason. <laughs> his, his pilot buddy, his trainer even goes, I think you're about ready for your first solo flight. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we learn very quickly who Kurt Russell is because it tells us on screen. Even his freaking name. Does it say what his job is? Yeah, I miss that. So mm. I really I've, have you half asked this? No, this I, week? I was. I t- We've had a lot on because we're doing six films in five days. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wait. But I was paying attention. But I I must have just blinked and missed it. But then I was like, what is his job? Because he's in a tuxedo a lot of the time. Mm. He's a doctor. I was like, he's a doctor of what? And then at one point he goes, come on, this is a think tank. I was mm. like, you what? <laughs> I, I, <laughs> You're I, an academic in a think tank. I can tell you because. I was paying attention mm, and read right. the screen. Uh, his name is David Grant. It says David Grant on the screen. Yes, and I got that. He is a consultant to U.S. Army intelligence. Oh, okay. Mm, yeah. All right. Yeah. Sorry. They they have to. They said it on the screen. It was all in text because right. I, I can't think of another way how you'd get oh, that information no. across no, in a film. Impossible. It's, actually it's impossible. extremely granular. So yeah. no. Uh, so one of his team turns up and goes. It's happening. <laughs> Cut to a weird freaking montage. Hell. This is the weirdest montage I've ever seen. Is that a priest with a machine gun? Yes. What? <laughs> More of that, please. Yeah. Priest with a machine gun. It, that I was paying attention at that point. Yeah. <laughs> it's just sort of it's just odd that we started three months earlier and then we flashed forward to the present day, and then suddenly we flash back to a sort of undefined time yeah. in between three months ago yeah. and now. Quite odd. Uh, it's a bit messy. But uh, then we're back to the present already uh, and we're in Greece and we know it's Greece, stock footage of the Acropolis <laughs> and the word Greece on screen to make sure. <laughs> yes, the Roger Ebert Review says, this is the kind of film that supplies subtitles on the screens with such helpful information over a shot of the Parthenon as Athens, Greece. Yeah, <laughs> but I did wonder because it's got that, it's of its time, but the beep, 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 beep. And it's like, oh, that works when it's a mission because it goes beep, 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 Trieste, beep, 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 beep. And it's like, that would be like mission comms. That's, they would go beep, beep, beep. But then when you're in Athens. <laughs> this is, sorry, if, if anyone didn't know, Vicky was in the military uh, before joining the show. So I'm just speaking from experience here, but. Uh, yeah, goes, so when beep, I beep, did beep, comms beep, in the military, <laughs> is anybody there? Beep, 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 beep. Go to Trieste in Chechnya. You know what? Be careful. Yeah. Do you remember how many times they said, stop beeping before you start this, speaking? You don't, you're don't. not going to believe how useful this knowledge is going to be for the quiz today, Vicky. You are you are nailed on winner now based on your military experience. But what I meant was, so then when they're going, you're going to Athens and you go to London and it still goes beep, beep, beep. But it's like, you don't need to do that now because it's not a mission. But I would think I was being mean because I love all the Bourne films and there's loads of title cards in the Bourne films and I don't mind it at all. Yeah. So I was being mean to this film for that. Yeah, I think you've been mean to this film in general already, but you know, we'll, so, we'll, it's up and down. Maybe, so. We'll find out. We'll find out. Um, so uh, we see actual regular people getting on this plane. I mentioned that because this is something I prefer in this movie to Air Force One because okay. the, I think it just makes the situation a lot more relatable. We've all been on planes. You know, the idea of being on a plane, hijackers, you know, that is ultimately a very terrifying concept. Mm-hmm. Whereas Air Force One, I think if you're a government official, there is a certain element of like there is this possibility you know this could happen if not on air force one then there is always the potential of an attack on the president so you know you're slightly more prepared so you don't possibly empathize quite as much with Mm. the regular joes on this flight agreed yeah and then like you say we're in london a suicide bomber destroys the marriott hotel restaurant um and meanwhile back on the plane mary ellen trainer um, who we love from the Lethal Weapon mm, films. From the Joel Silver films. Yes. Uh, <laughs> she's been given a gift by Halle Berry. It's a, it's a wedding gift <laughs> of the little figures mm. go on top of the cake. Yeah. I'm pretty sure they come with the cake. <laughs> yeah, she loves it, though. She's like, oh, my God. She's, I thought it was like a, just a good look token thing that I didn't, like cultural significance I didn't understand. Right. That's all. All right. Well, she gets that and she's thrilled. She and then you realise that she's getting married. She's probably going to die. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, I didn't think she was dead initially. You think she's just knocked out. You see what I mean? You see, it's very confusing, this film. When people die, you need to know they've died. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you spend a long time. You thought she was going to get up off the floor because she only bashes her head. Yeah, but I was reading a Stephen King book uh, recently called Billy Summers. is a new one. It's really good. And he talks about the character in it as a hitman. And he talks about he smashes a guy's head and the guy just dies. And he's like, this is how it really happens. You know, uh, you know, you see it in movies so much where people bash their heads and like and get up yeah. again and like, what happened? And in real life, if you smash your head, you are likely to not. There's an amazing film where that's pretty much the ending. And I don't want to say it because it spoils the ending, but... 
that's what makes that film so good, starring two great actors. And we'll do it on this show one day. Cool. Okay. Okay. But yeah, she dies. I find it weird that she dies because she's then replaced by another blonde stewardess who Very fills looking, her yeah. role like yeah. completely as the one who's scared next yeah. to Halle Berry's brave yeah. one. And that's Donald Trump's wife. What? Marla Maples Trump is that new air hostess. She was <laughs> no. married to him at the time, yes. I didn't know that. She didn't do much no. acting, but this was like her effort to get into the movies. Oh. I didn't know that. Mm? That's what I'm here for. So... <laughs> it's Tilly Trivia. <laughs> it is why, trivia right there. That is some serious Tilly Trivia. I've missed that. Yeah, that's a classic piece. <laughs> yeah. uh, we find that there's an air marshal on board played by Richard Real, who you've pretty much seen in everything Every as that guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. uh, and it gives Halle Berry an opportunity to be brave. So we know that she's brave because she hides the passenger manifest from Poirot, who's the bad guy in this. Good. I have called him Poirot throughout my life. <laughs> I mean, he like that's pretty much what... Like, It's so weird seeing him in this because it's like, oh, from freaking Poirot. Gentle Poirot. Yeah. He's a big bad guy, it turns out. Uh, so, this is the scene we talked about. We're back with Kurt Russell now, jumping about a lot here, and he's chatting up a woman who actually gets a name despite never being in it again. So I thought it was his wife. Right. Because they give so much weight, you know, in a film like this, you don't normally, you don't, what's the blonde woman's name? No one knows kind of thing. You barely know Halle Berry's name, to be honest, like, and he gets it wrong. Mm. So when they address her by name, I was like, oh, you're just doing this fun little role play thing and that's your actual wife. Oh, that's what you thought it was, role play. Because he goes, David Grant, and she goes, Michelle Thomas. Exactly. Yeah, a cute thing. Right. You like that role play then? (laughs) (laughs) Pretending to not know someone. (laughs) It's uh, Mark. I want to say Mark. I want to say Mark. (laughs) Uh, So I've been proved wrong. I really, I I went on a bit of a rant about this because I was like, this is the scene where you should have put some hockey mention in it but I didn't hear him say that okay it's fine but we've done it fair Move enough on. we've yeah. done it alright 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 like uh, so uh, he's cock blocked though by a dude going you're needed uh, so we're off to the Pentagon we know it's the Pentagon uh, because he says I'm going to the Pentagon and then it says Pentagon <laughs> on screen Seagal <laughs> uh, sees Grant and it's uh, what I really like is the fact that Grant is still in his tuxedo yeah. at this point I'm going big on the start just to explain because once we get to the midsection I've got three lines <laughs> okay good. That's, good don't worry is don't it, worry. Me the rat's too. on a wire and that's it. It's, it's pretty much that. <laughs> so um, he's off to the Pentagon and Steven Seagal, I, I, I love his delivery of this line. It's great that Grant is in a tux because it exaggerates even further the idea that Seagal knows what it's like out there yeah. on the front line, not wearing my face paint because he's in his <laughs> fatigues. And then he just looks at Grant in his tux and he goes, Jesus. <laughs> good. He's good in this cigar. Fucking love cigar. Um, so Poirot has a list of demands, uh, uh, including Gatwick Airport, which I was yeah. sort of like, Heathrow must be fuming. <laughs> strange that Gatwick gets a mention. But... It's funny that like, it's just outside of London. Is that, that is so <laughs> yeah, true. It's, it's closer than people think. Half an hour on the Gatwick Express from mm-hmm. Victoria. It's not cheap, though. You can actually, because I'm North London, I can get on the train um, at Kentish Town Overground Station. It's about 45 minutes. But then you'd have to get on the tube and you don't like to do that. So It's buses I don't like. <laughs> I like the tube. I'm a big fan of the tube. So anyway, Russell's like, all Poirot's demands are bullshit. He's going to attack us. And so they come up with this idea to get on the plane using a remora designed by Oliver Platt. Know why it's called a remora? Uh, because uh, erect penis was too on the nose. <laughs> <laughs> they do at one point call it a mating tube. They do. <laughs> and don't they say, unsheathe it? They do. It's disgusting. Shove it in. Oh, no, they say, eject the sleeve. <laughs> it's vile. And it does look like an, an animal penis yeah. going into that plane. Am I, am I in yet? <laughs> am I in yet? <laughs> the seal's broken. Oh. Can, you, can you feel anything? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, it's called a remora because of the remora fish, sucker fish, oh, those fish nice. that go on sharks. Right. Very nice. Shark reference. Uh, so, Chagall is like, cool, I'm going to do this mission, but only if Kurt Russell comes too <laughs> and keeps his tuxedo on because I'm still pissed about his last intel being rubbish. <laughs> and the Secretary of Defence is like, yeah, cool. Definitely Kurt Russell can go along, but surely he can change his tuxedo on yeah. the plane or something because there's a helicopter flight. And Steven's got that. No, <laughs> no, he, he can't. There's no changing facilities on the helicopter. <laughs> and Kurt Russell's all like, 
I, I don't mind changing in front of people. He was going, like, <laughs> no, John Leguizamo has a 007 line that he's going he's gonna to do. So you have to have the tuxedo on. <laughs> so John Leguizamo, this is what you were going to mention. Um, mm. Him and Seagal did Newt Get oh, On. Really? Yeah. So I mean, he basically dedicates a whole chapter to it in his autobiography. Mm. Which one? If it's an autobiography, it's probably his. <laughs> I missed the which person. Oh, John Leguizamo. Thank you. And because he, he's a comic as well, so he did it. He did a one man show, and he mentions it in that as well. But he says it was the first day of rehearsal, and all the guys were there: Joe Morton, B.D. Wong, Oliver Platt. And he says we're all big actors, we're all big boys, we're all experienced. And so Gal walked in and said, "I'm in command. What I say is law." <laughs> and so Leguizamo starts laughing. And Steven Seagal slammed him with an Aikido elbow against a brick wall and knocked the air out of him. He dropped to the ground and all Jen Leguizamo says he could say is, why? 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 <laughs> because they'd made a film before. He's in Out for Justice, uh, John Leguizamo. Uh-huh. And he said they got on really well. And so he was completely shocked that it was completely different human beings seemed to show up in rehearsal. And then on set, he continued to to cause trouble and, and yeah. be horrible to him and... Mm-hmm. But you say that, but John Leguizamo also didn't get on with Kurt Russell. I know you. On the you, movie. you've got to ask where the issue is if, mm. he's, if he's upsetting. If all these people are getting upset, but then actually, then I was looking more into Steven Seagal's history, and he is a full-on villain. Like, there's so many really unpleasant stories that women have to tell about Steven Seagal's behaviour. Quite famous, well-known women who have met with him, and he is just scum. Yeah, I remember reading the. Uh... The dressing gown falling open in a hotel room story. Okay, there's a lot of hotel room stories. So. Can you imagine what how that goes. Yeah. So yeah, I'm I'm with I'm with John on this one. I think you're going with John. Yeah. Oh well, let's hear about the Kurt Russell story first because uh, he said that he wanted to inter- inter- improvise. Did John Leguizamo uh, on the set have fun with the character, throw a few lines in, and he said it was the improvised line. I hope the smell doesn't give us away. That started a fight with Kurt Russell. This is what Kurt Russell said to John Leguizamo. I love this quote. <laughs> Your ad-libs make me sick, John. Be a man and stick to the script. Okay. Yeah. So they didn't get on uh, either. Nevertheless, back to the plot. We get the brilliant sequence uh, where a plane makes love to a bigger plane. That's right. It's a great sequence, this. (laughs) Did you like this? I like the, because I don't know, having despite my military service, I don't know anything about military hardware. um, And I like the bit where they're trying to align the penis and the opening and there's like that matrix grid that shows the plane. And I was like, that's just awesome. Like, is that a real thing that helps pilots, fighter pilots, see what they're doing, uh-huh. where it projects a matrix grid so you can line up a target? I liked that. You mean if a fighter pilot's fighting, flying a boy plane and he sees a, <laughs> he sees a, girl, a girl plane, plane. and he's like, I want to I insert into <laughs> she that. She flashes her tail eyes. <laughs> so you know you've got consent. In you go, son. Yeah, of course. Yeah. It's great. It's not like a plane wearing a dressing gown in a hotel room. <laughs> oh, God, has it fallen up? Well, since you're here. Oh, my missile's showing. <laughs> Yuck! I, I will say, although I made these jokes, I didn't actually see this sex metaphor that you both did in this really? sequence. No, I feel like I'm... Am I stupid? Yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't either. It's only Vicky. It's Vicky. So I filthy the mind, yeah. <laughs> but, I, but really, this is... I remember it as a kid, and I remember it now. I was on the edge of my seat in this sequence. I think it's really, really tense. And okay. I love it. I, I do think it suffers a bit from the fox chicken grain riddle. The maneuvering they have to do to get Oliver Platt on the plane. It's like, yeah. no, you go up and then you have to stay there because we can't get past on the ladder. It, it's a bit weird because Steven Seagal's like, you have to go up. Mm. Why? Mm. He's like, because I say so. And it's like, okay, but you're going to be doing that. Oh, God, sorry. Excuse me. Excuse me. Just breathe in a little bit so I can fit up a ladder. Uh, yeah. and, and that's why I didn't really like it. I felt all that stuff was a bit too convoluted and I stopped paying attention to what was happening. I just wanted them to get on with it, which I felt in quite a lot of scenes in this film, that there was too much chat and not enough action. I think they're a bit guilty as well of overdoing the big bad, the the DMZ, because in the sort of the similar style as The Rock, like I love The Rock with the little globules of whatever that chemical is, but it's very clear here that a single drop, with with them they've got their pretend... Um, that fucking meeting conference room space, which is really depressing. Oh, you're talking about the VX gas in the rock and the yeah, the, yeah. Right, yeah. So this they've got the, the, this so much of this DMZ on whatever it's called on board, um, and a single drop will kill everyone in this room. But that plane is absolutely made of it. And it's like you need to get that plane into outer space <laughs> because even if it goes in the sea, 
near any city, everyone will die. Everyone will die because you just said a single drop will kill everyone in this room. So it, you, you've got no option. You need to blow that plane out of the sky immediately. Okay. I didn't, but they were like, this, the setting of the, the artificial setting of the clock, which is, We've got three hours until we're on the zone bit. Oh, I like that. I like that because you've got the line on the map as well. It's very clear. It really yeah. hammers home if it goes past this line. Yeah, I just trouble. think they overdid it a bit with like, this is the bad thing, the MacGuffin bad thing. Mm. This D, what is it? DZ5, sorry. It DZ5. Matter. It, it doesn't really doesn't matter. matter. It really does matter. Carry on. But they said, because this plane is made of the stuff, if you're on the line and the plane blows up, everyone in America will die, was my reading of it. It's too extreme, the poison. Yeah, but not if they take control. Because that's the whole thing, though. The whole thing is they're going to try to take control of yeah, the Yeah, and plane. they say, if, if you don't, by the time it gets to this line, we'll blow you out of the sky. The line is too close to US soil for me to believe that no one would hurt if that plane got blown up at that point. Do you see what I mean? So you don't want the plane blown up, or you do? No, I think the minute they find out it's got this thing on it, they yeah. should eject it into space. Right. They should use the remora fish to drag it into space uh-huh. or whatever. That's not what the remora does, though. <laughs> it gets people on a plane by making love to it in the air. It <laughs> right, doesn't yeah. launch things Sorry, into yeah. space. How are they going to launch it into space? I don't know. <laughs> to bring it back around, though, what the rock does are better than this as well as it shows you what the chemical does. Yeah, we true. see the effect, yeah, and I think this would be a bit more dramatic if <gasps> we had an idea rather of what would happen rather than a bloke talking about a cup of water. Yes. If, if Kurt Russell had actually dropped a drop in that room and everyone had died and yeah. you'd be like shit that's awesome that would be great yeah he might lose his job but it would be good yeah so i have another question about this do you think do you think it works it feels a little bit like oliver platt and kurt russell being on the plane they served exactly the same job as people who shouldn't have got on the plane yes so it kind of dilutes it but i know it's there to make oliver platt freak out and so Kurt Russell proves that he is actually competent enough to get on with it and brave enough to sort of go, all right, I'm going to take the lead here. And so you've got that parallel uh, where Oliver Platt's losing his shit. But it, they're both sort of like, you just feel there, there should be one person. They're like, who quote, like, be on like the desk plane. jockeys that shouldn't be there. That's yeah, the thing. agreed. But I think the idea is that um, even though Kurt Russell is a desk jockey, he's still our hero, yeah. our tough, our brave hero. And Oliver Platt is there to be the comic relief. Mm, that's the that's the thinking there. Sigal dies. We'll discuss it after this break. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. So yeah, welcome back. Uh, Sigal dies. Mm. Shocker. Didn't register that. Yeah, yeah. It's because you see his little body. <clears throat> it's a bit like Gibbs at the end of Air Force One. You just see a tiny little man getting flying off into the distance. Yeah, it's it's weird. It's I I remember as a kid just being like, "What has happened?" It was a huge moment. Um, he didn't want to die though. No, he really didn't oh, want really? to die. Yeah. yeah. 
He, Not, didn't, he, he didn't want to die to the extent... First of all, he had his death toned down, or they toned his death down. His head was the, the tube... Uh, the, uh, the 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 penis was meant to depressurize, and <laughs> his head was meant to explode, and it was going to be really gory. He wasn't happy about that. Right. And in the end, he was sat in his trailer and locked the door mm. and wouldn't come out because he said, "My fan, my fans won't want me to die. Mm. My fans do not want to see me die, so I don't want to die he, in he this movie." He didn't want to die in that way. Was was specifically the thing? Mm. He, he'd read the script. Yeah, it was in the script, but he yeah he didn't like the idea of it. So. What was his idea, Alex? <laughs> he had an idea. He had a he counter did. idea for what they could do. Oh, that's he did. Good. That's helpful. He's a, he's a genius, Stigal. He he can rewrite anything. Yeah. And he got he got all of the script, and he was like, "Got a big green pen." <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. I got a new idea. What I think should happen is that I hold the plane and the tube with my arms to make sure everyone gets on before I die. So I'm I'm like Superman holding two planes together and then people are crawling over me to get in the plane and that's my hero death. Wow. That was his pitch. Steven Seagal thought in a movie, fair enough, it's not a movie that, you know, is short on uh, unrealism, but uh, I mean, the the idea of a man holding a 747 and a stealth fighter (laughs) together as people crawl all over him. Thank you, Stephen. <laughs> so yeah, they they didn't do that, and he died because the studio went. We will sue the shit out of yes. you. You are in breach of contract. Come out of your trailer. <laughs> so uh, this is the midsection now. A lot of setting up cameras. A lot of creeping round. A lot of fiddling with a bomb. Yeah, that's the midsection covered. Yeah, it's and you know what I'm going to say because it's a script thing, but. We spend a lot of time waiting for Kurt Russell to find out stuff we already know. And that, mm. yeah, you know how I feel about that. And there's a few too many false starts as well. It's like the, they're about to storm the plane and then, wait, there's a trigger man. There's a trigger man on the plane. And then it's like, we're about to defuse the bomb. Wait, there's a second detonator hidden underneath that oh, we didn't yeah, know about. Yeah. That's annoying. Uh, a couple too many rugs pulled. I did like the laser pen, though, that he uses to melt the sheath off the wires. Yes. Doesn't exist. Oh, I know. surprises me. I know. So uh, they're trying to defuse the bomb. Joe Morton does another great pain face, like in Terminator Amazing. 2. So good. Great pain face, Joe Morton. Like, you are, honestly, it, I find <clears> I, it <throat> makes me uncomfortable watching him when he's like, <clears throat> he's a really great actor. This, this, doing this podcast has made me come see just how good he is, how often he pops up, and he's so dependable. A lot of great character actors in this. J.T. Walsh. I love mm, J.T. Yeah. Walsh as the senator who uh, gets the Ellis moment, mm-hmm. yeah. sort of, at the behest of his staff. He's like, we could use this. It's a proper Ellis moment. Gets shot like Ellis. And then we have this ticking clock that you mentioned, Vicky, and it is crazy that the executive decision mm-hmm. gets made off screen. So is, was there mm. anything about why? Why is the president not in this film? Like, did they not want it to be too similar to Air Force One? Well, this came out first, so it can't have been that. Yeah, oh yeah. It's just what makes it a particularly strange decision is the film's called executive yeah, decision. Which only the president can make, isn't that true? <laughs> I believe so. I think that's the point of an executive decision. So yeah, yeah it's um, it's odd because they, they do spend a lot of time with them going, oh he, yeah, he probably well, let's not bother him with this. Mm, um, he's on, he's in the loo. He's <laughs> but it's he's, weird because... he's watching Die Hard he's on Air Force One I know it changes he's busy too. with his yeah. own terrorists <laughs> yeah, it's a shared true. universe <laughs> eagles up there <laughs> uh, then we get then some action happens after a lot of creeping around you're ready for a release the F-14's turning up is very calm I love that um, uh, they do initially try and get the plane to divert to an Air Force base called Thule it's the same base as the Norwegians are at in the thing mm. oh little, little bit there. Yeah, a little bit of non-tilly trivia. Uh, I like the way the pilot shows off his missiles underneath his plane. <laughs> where he's... you for missing? Where the plane's dressing gown falls open. He's like, take a look at these. <laughs> That's a male plane. <laughs> uh, uh, and the taillights Morse code. It's just, it's a really great idea. I, I just, I think it's, I think it's good. And I like the whole setup of. No one uses Morse code anymore, except Navy pilots. Cut to the Navy pilots in the cockpit, and one goes, is that what I think it is? (laughs) And the other goes, you're damn right. It's like you've never seen anyone so excited about Morse code. He's like, it's fucking Morse code. It's it's saving his life. (laughs) I know, it's just... I I do. I thought no one used that but us. (laughs) It is very good. How's your Morse code? 
I know SOS. Okay. Could come in useful in a bit. Yeah. What, in here? <laughs> in, in a quiz. Let me just tighten my belt on this dressing gown. Um, uh, we get a shot of Poirot praying. Yes. I, I saw this in the version I watched. Uh, I watched mine on Apple and this was definitely that. in it. Yeah. Apparently these were cut. A lot of stuff was cut from the Warner Brothers Blu-ray release. Yeah, um, I'm sure it was. A lot of shots of David Suchet holding the Koran. Um yeah, the bomber in London is shown with the Quran in yeah. a version. And he that talks about out. using the sword of Allah to strike mm. deep into the heart of the infidel. Um, I think it is. I don't like it. I think it's all sort of blaming an entire religion, and then they try and get themselves out of it by one of his soldiers saying this has nothing to do yeah, with Islam. Yeah, that's the that's the counterpoint to that. But I can see why you'd want to take out the praying because then it makes him seem. It gives more validity to that, which is not what you want. Yeah, the words the words you just mentioned, Allah and Infidel, were replaced by God and Enemy in a lot of American TV versions. Mm. It just felt like the kind of film that, that is stoking up a little bit of hatred yeah. when it mm. didn't have to be a religion they were blaming for this. Yeah. So we're into the climax. Um, Kurt Russell tries to stop the trigger man and he almost does it, but he can't quite reach him because his foot gets stuck in a food trolley. How does this happen? Why couldn't they have thought of something else? He's our hero. Also, again... You just can't. You can't do that. It's. I think it's yeah. impossible. He, the angle he's at, it's just like... Just, just pull it out, mate. <laughs> just sort it out. <laughs> what are you doing? It's like, God, it's cut in, it's cut in the food trolley. What are you doing? It might be an editing thing, and it may have been me misreading this film again, which I've done a couple of times at least. <laughs> but I think they go to the guy they think is the sleeper guy, mm. and it's like, it's not him. No. And Kurt Russell is quickly scanning, scan, scan. Who can it be? Who can it be? Who can it be? And he alights on to my reading the only other the only other non-Caucasian person at the back of the plane yeah, is but like, he says it's he, you. But he knows what he looks like. Yeah, he's seen him. He's seen an image of him. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So he's looking for someone that he recognises. Oh, I see. Yeah, All right. yeah. So it's not as bad as you think. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, 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 again, you did get it wrong. I did, yeah. <laughs> God, I'm having a terrible, terrible week. Did you really watch this or did <laughs> you just really skim did. it? Because it really feel, feel like Stephen Seagal's still alive. And, uh, and it, yeah, uh, yeah. Okay. Right. You skipped over my favourite line. <laughs> God, look, this line is amazing. When Kurt Russell says to Halle Berry, You've been fantastic. (laughs) You've risked your life. You've been fantastic. (laughs) Do you like it where he goes, she's a player, boys? I did, actually. (laughs) She doesn't get much to do, does she, Halle Berry? Considering what a great actress we will soon learn to to learn that she is. Yeah. Like you say, it's a lot of standing by the phone. Yeah. (laughs) For the apparent million dollars she got paid. Mm. I think that was easy money. Good honour. Oliver Platt uses his magic wand uh, to put between two bits of the bomb uh, mm. to save the day. His arc's complete. <laughs> uh, people get sucked out of a hole in the plane. Yeah, terrifying. Do you think so? I'm very scared of that. Me too. Yeah, it's one of those when you're on a plane and you just get in that loop of yep. madness and you just think, God, what if? Exactly. It's that thing where, and I only get it if I ha- for some reason, I, I don't know why I sort of walk towards the danger, but in my head, I'll start thinking about the fact, and it's this that scares me, you're on a metal tube 35,000 feet in the sky. And when you start thinking about that... Yeah, you it's... can't do that. Apologies to anyone listening to this on a plane at the moment. <laughs> Does that happen? <laughs> um, but, well, you say that. Um, you can actually survive falling out of an airplane at 30,000 feet, which is... As Stephen Segal did. <laughs> <laughs> I told you. <laughs> uh, it takes... It, it's crazy. It takes three minutes to reach mm. the ground. Oh, my God. Uh, and it would so. certainly take the wind out of you. <laughs> so, and you, you initially you pass out because of the lack of oxygen. Yeah. But you do then wake up as the air pressure changes uh, with still a minute to go before you hit the ground. Uh, but there was a case of a stewardess in 1972 when a bomb went off on a plane. She fell 33,000 feet and survived without a parachute. But wow. she landed on a cactus and that went septic and killed her. <laughs> She landed in some deep snow. It was kind of like what we were talking about on the Temple of Doom episode. Right. She was still in the fuselage, so she wasn't actually exposed. She was in the fuselage of the plane. It landed in some deep snow at an angle, and so she survived. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. She uh, she did uh, fracture her skull, broke three vertebrae, broken legs, broken ribs, fractured pelvis. Wow. But full recovery. Wow. wow. And wanted to go back to work, and they wouldn't let her. The airline was like, mm, I think it's a bad thing. You You're think- a curse. <laughs> That's terrible. <laughs> 
I mean, they kept, they kept her on, like, but on the ground, they wouldn't right. let her fly again. But she became a bit of celeb- uh, a celebrity in her home country. Anyway, back to the movie. Rat gets his moment. He kills Naji Poirot. Uh, and then Kurt gets his moment, uh, which is landing the plane after missing the mm. big runway. Where, where's he, where's he going to land it? He just wants to land it at home or something, <laughs> which I, I was mm. furious at this bit because... It, turn, it turns into airplane. It's unbelievable. Yeah, it does. With the manual and stuff like that. Do this, do this. But You want the inflatable bloke to appear yeah, next to him. It's crazy. You must, as you're filming that, you must go, hang on a second, we've <laughs> got a stewardess and yeah. a guy who's not quite confident about flying yeah. in a cockpit together. Yeah. We, all, you, we all see an airplane. Yeah, we all see an airplane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, we, this has happened. Sorry, Vicky, go on. No, it's it's a boy. It's not boring. It's just a, you know an obvious thing like... He, what is it about his character that means he doesn't stick, literally stick the landing the first time? He's like, no, now that I can see home, I can do it. Like, why does that make any difference to you, Kurt Russell, as a junior flyer or whatever? And it takes ages to get to the moment where he's like, I can do this, I can do this. And it's like, for your character, why are you scared of flying at this moment? Apart from the very obvious stuff, which is it would be very scary to land a plane. But... I think that's it, though, isn't it? Yeah, but he's <laughs> he's never person... landed a plane like this Yeah, before. but he's not you. He's never been even been in the cockpit of a plane before. Like, he's had some experience. So there's a bit of nuance. Been, he's oh. been in a cockpit. <laughs> yeah. cockpit. Why, why Have you flown you... a plane? I didn't say that. <laughs> what are you but doing I've been in the in cockpit? cockpit of a bloke plane. was asking if you like gladiators. <laughs> 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 what you have to do to get in the cockpit of a plane these days. Uh, they, they, they're, 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 they're pretty pretty adamant that you're not allowed in anymore. You <laughs> used to be able to get tours. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. You know, the kid, like, you yeah. know, give you a little, give you a little toy plane. Really? Yeah, if you sit on his lap and do what he tells you. <laughs> sit still. <laughs> my, my dressing gown's fallen open. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, I mean, we, he lands the plane. The obvious thing is, when he's having flying lessons, it's his first solo flight and he messes up the landing and he nearly dies. And so now he's like, I'm scared of landing. I mean, that's, that's boring, but just not just this. Okay. Sorry. It's all right. I thought it was quite good. I mean, it's it's an idiotic idea because that runway is clearly going to be too short for yeah. the plane because it's not a proper runway. And he doesn't seem to ever reference that. He just seems to think, it's just another runway. They're, yeah. all, they're all the same length. <laughs> uh, one at a major airport, a private landing strip. Definitely the same. I'll yeah. land it here. So uh, he does. He lands it. And that's it. Uh, oh no! Apart from Melly Berry, get a chance to shout flaps a lot, which made me laugh my ass off. Well, you no, because you shouldn't forget the flaps. <laughs> <laughs> Never flaps! forget the flaps. Uh, uh, brilliant. Uh, yeah, when you're unsheathing, yeah. when, you're, when you're going down. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> Good. The, Good. the air marshal survives. He got shot several times yeah, in the stomach. In the that stomach. felt to me like a reshoot where test audience said, we don't like him dying. Yeah, he was brave great. and he seems nice. So bang, he's just fine. Shit, yeah. That's another connection between the movies because uh, the is it the Secretary of State, the guy who takes a bullet for Harrison Ford in Air Force One gets shot in the heart yes. and it's still winched <laughs> off the plane at the end. You're like, really? Yeah. So yeah, two people who should have died but didn't. Um, so yeah, Grant is single, as we learned earlier, because uh, it wasn't role wasn't play his with his wife, yep. Michelle Thomas. My mistake. <laughs> you be Michelle Thomas. Can I not have an exciting name? No, Michelle Thomas <laughs> really turns me on. It's just like two first names does it for me. All right, I'm Michelle Thomas. I've got two first names as well, David Grant. Pretty sexy, right? <laughs> I told you this would work. Just go with it. It's fine. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> You're needed. I'm, a bu- I'm busy role playing with my wife. So. It's called the two first names game. <laughs> we really like it. It's so hot, right? Listen, listen, watch, watch, watch this. What's your name? Michelle Thomas. Oh my God. How hot was that? Uh, the Pentagon needs you, sir, but how hot was it? <laughs> Just answer the, answer the question. I'll get. I'll come with you. Answer the question. Was it hot? Yeah, all right. It was hot. There you go. You'll be doing that at home. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, it's just a really awkward sort of unnecessary romantic chat. Uh, the bit where It's just badly written, this whole thing where he goes, do you want to get a coffee? And she goes, as long as you're not flying. It's what, like, does it, what does it mean? Who flies to get a coffee? I'm, there's a car there. I'm yeah. literally walking you to the car. Yeah. I'm not flying. It's just a, a stupid thing. And also, as long as you're not flying, he just saved your life. Yeah. He landed the jet plane. He can fly now. He can fly. Uh, and that's, uh, that's your it. That's it. He plays out with a Sinatra tune in a very much the style of Die Hard. Yeah. With that. Uh, but the it... whole pullout is very Die Hard too. Right, yeah. Yep. Any more for any more? No. All right, let's do the bits. Best scene, um, Vicky. It's, it's when it all kicks off. So finally, there's loads of action. So after you've had the sheathing bit, there's not much action for a while. There's like being on a wire and it's a bit slow and all the rest of it. 
And then when they try to kill the sleeper, even though it's largely daft, and it reminded me of Ready Player One, you know that bit where whatever the lead character is called, he's got to push a button and he just can't quite do it. That's stupid. It's pretty stupid that he's like, get the button. And like you say, his foot is stuck. But there's been loads of action all of a sudden out of nowhere. And that really brilliant directorial choice when David Suchet appears and you think Rat is in front of him, but he's actually, David Suchet sneaked up on him and so shoots him. That's brilliant. Mm. More of that. Chris? Steven Seagal flying away. Mm. I'm going for the whole mating tube scene. It's very tense. And yeah, buttoning with Steven Seagal dying. Loved it. MVW, Chris? Oliver Platt. He's he, great, isn't he? He always makes, we, we know, we, it's not. It's no secret that me and Alex are in love with Oliver Platt. Yeah. Freaking love Whenever him. he shows up, we're very happy to see him. He brings some levity to proceedings and we really, really want to do Lake Placid soon, don't we? <laughs> and that is my, it's probably my favourite Oliver Platt performance. That line, that he, the exchange that he has with Brendan Gleeson in that mm. movie where he goes, I didn't know crocodiles could live in uh, fresh water and salt water. And Oliver Platt goes, yeah, they tend to disguise that kind of information in books. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> David Kelly. What a genius. Go on. Um, Joe Morton, actually. I want to give it to Oliver Platt, but the chewing on that dirty straw for 90 minutes or but whatever. He's got a clean. Oh, you mean it's, he only brought the one with him? Yeah. He's and got no, a tub who, of them. No one calls it a magic wand, PS writers, but whatever. Mm. So, Joe Morton, yeah, even though he spends the whole thing in like a neck brace or a stretcher or whatever it is, he's brilliant. Okay. That's good. We've all got different ones because if Chris is doing Oliver Platt, I'm going John Leguizamo. I think it was worth getting into a shoving match with Stevens Zagal and Kurt Russell over the improvising because. I think he is the most alive of the characters. Yeah. I don't think his improv is amazing, but I think he's got a little bit of electricity about him in the film. Me too. All right then. What would you change, Victoria? So this leans into my idea that Steven Seagal did not die, right? So Steven Seagal... Oh, he definitely died. All right, but, so, but I'm allowed to give vent to this now because right. it's the changes section. So Steven Seagal in Cormac's doesn't die, yeah. however. And then he is directing the mission from the ground. So the whole film is Kurt Russell and Steven Seagal switched places. They hate each other, mm. but now they've each got to do the other's job. And by being inexperienced at the other's job, they find a kernel of where they're better at it than the other, and therefore the mission is a success. I mean, you'd lose the big, whoa, yeah, Seagal dying, right. but actually that's pretty good. It's a better film. I yeah, like, I, I do miss Seagal when he's gone. Yeah, and then you don't. Doesn't matter that the president's not in the room because you're with Seagal the whole time. Mm. So he's telling Kurt Russell what to do, and he's like, "I'll do it my way." And then they fall out. Bit of a low point where it goes really wrong. And, and then, then he's then at the airport at the end, and they hug. Yeah, they hug. Yeah, and he goes to Seagal. Do you want to get coffee? And Seagal's like, "Not if you're flying." Yeah, and it sort of makes sense. Yeah, Chris. So you said you like the fact that this is a passenger airplane. We get to see passengers. We can empathise with them more. I think the issue is that we don't meet any of the passengers. We don't get to know any of them. Mm. That's the reason the Halle Berry wedding cake Mary Lou trainer moment is in there, just to feel something for these people. But I think what Air Force One does do better is actually we get to know some of the people on the plane, the president's daughter, the president's wife, who we quite like, and we worry about them. We don't want them to die. Whereas here, I don't have that feeling. So I would give us just something with some of these passengers. Although equally, I don't think the film needs to be any longer. So. <laughs> God, no. uh, yeah, I'm going with the landing the plane sequence. If your movie in any way resembles one of the greatest comedies of all time, then you need to fucking change it. Mm. You can't go, this is a bit like Airplane, isn't it? Carry on, everyone. You need to go, we need to rethink this. Uh, that, and you just put the president in the room. Why is it the defence secretary? Why is the president not there? It's insane. Put the president in that room to make the executive decision. Right then, that is us done. Should we do a quiz that Vicky's going to win, apparently? Well, it's because of her military background. Yeah. Because the military phonetic alphabet was created to properly exchange communication by radio or telephone. More accurately known as International Radio Telephony Spelling Alphabet, it consists of 26 code words that substitute each letter of the alphabet. I'm going to give you the letter, you give me the word. Okay. Got you. So if I say A, you say Alpha. A alpha. alpha. Okay. But that is not an answer. It was because <clears throat> I got there first. <laughs> C. Charlie. Charlie. Shit. <laughs> H. Uh, Alex was just at one. Hotel. Correct. Oh, <laughs> oh, I knew that because I was just at one. <laughs> R. Romeo. I had a good clue for that. It's annoying. Um, I. Indigo. Indigo. <laughs> oh, it might be. I don't know if it is. I've got something different. No, I don't think it is. Same first four letters. Iago. India. Correct. Oh. Uh, and finally, S. Sierra. Oh, wow, correct. Do you want the bonus point? Um, what does that spell? 
Clash. Clash. <laughs> Chris. Oh! <laughs> Brilliant work. Uh, who won? You did. Oh, <laughs> did I? Yeah. Oh, what a knob. <laughs> it's good for me. It is good for me. It's not. No, what? it is good for me because I can't bear it. But that's good for... I should go through things I can't bear. I should. Well, what are your former army comrades going to think? <laughs> I just went... Beep, 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 beep. And then <laughs> oh, Alex came and I was yeah, like, yeah, Foxtrot yeah. Delta, yeah. not me. Yeah. Uh, right, she'd have got F and D. If you'd done F and D. <laughs> right then. Uh, so uh, my choices for next week's movie pairing. This is my clue. Just when she thought it was safe to go back in the water. Just when she thought mm-hmm. it was safe to go back in the water. That is your clue for next week's pairing. Get on Twitter, have a guess, at ClashPod. Uh, before all of that, though, we're going to be back on Thursday talking Air Force One. In the meantime, please do subscribe, rate, and indeed review us if you've got the time. It's a great help. And check in with us on Twitter at ClashPod and Instagram at ClashPod. Bye-bye. Back Thursday. This was a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. 